welcome to another episode of the Regardless Podcast. Today, I am super, super excited to have with me two rock star ladies. Um, I'm going to introduce them very, very quickly, but then I'll turn it over to them so they can tell you a whole lot about themselves. Uh, my first guest is Dr. Elizabeth Englander. Uh, did I get that right, Elizabeth? Yep. Close enough. Close That's enough. okay. Okay. <laughs> That's what I say when people pronounce my name. Uh, when I'm sure. <laughs> they're like, is that good? I'm like, you're good. 70% is A. We'll take it. <laughs> uh, Dr. Englander is the executive director of the Massachusetts Aggression Reduction Center. That's a mouthful and sounds very impressive. <laughs> um, this is at Bridgewater State University. And my second guest, Dr. Katherine Covino. Did I get that right? Perfect. Well Perfect. Done. Yay, 100%. <laughs> she is the assistant professor of English studies at Fitchburg State University. Together, they have written a book called The Insanely Awesome Pandemic Playbook, a humorous mental health guide for kids. And today we are just going to be chatting a lot about that book. So ladies, you are so very, very welcome. It's such a pleasure having you both here with us today. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, this is great. So we want to just dive right in. We have um, 30 minutes to hear all about this awesome book, but I think it would be great for us to just start with you telling us a little bit about yourself. So on this podcast, we, we talk a lot about people's stories and we just want to hear, you know, your story, if you can give us like a, I don't want to say a short version, but, you know, just give us the highlights of your story. Who are you and what has made you what you are today? Let's start with um, Katie. Great, thanks. So um, I am an English professor, as you said. Um, I'm also a mom to three kids, three school age kids. Um, they're in eighth grade, sixth grade and third grade. And since the pandemic started, we've been lucky enough to have remote education for them. So we feel lucky that that's been an option for us. But I could also see ever since the pandemic started in March that there were struggles that they were going through. And so um, Elizabeth and I have been writing partners for a while. So every time we would pop in and visit with each other, there would always be conversation between friends about you know our lives and things that we were noticing. And so conversations were one of the many impetus for the book. Um, it was it was good to hear that she was noticing the same things, even though her children are much older. So um, that's that's sort of the story. The English professor, um, he's coming in with the expertise, having done my dissertation in a second grade classroom, spent a year with those kids. So I know how kids read and I know what kids enjoy in that age group. And then also being a mom and having, you know, watching my own kids and their friends in the community um, be blessed to enjoy remote education, but then sort of be struggling with other pieces, having to do with socialization, screen time, focusing on school organization, just seeing the need for something to guide kids in their own language at their own level. So that's sort of my story and my way into the book. Tell me about your dissertation. It's just like really short. When you say you did dissertation in the second grade classroom, that sounds fascinating to me. Yeah, it was a really interesting experience. So the first half, I was just there observing to see the teacher and her students. And for the second half of the year, I was um, really interested in critical literacy. And critical literacy is when you ask thoughtful questions of text 
And oftentimes we see that in middle school and high school and college students, right? But there's not always the understanding that critical literacy happens in second grade classrooms, particularly with students who um, may not have English as their first language. Mm -hmm. So I was really interested to ask those questions and you have to believe me, those students were really interested in giving answers. So if you ask students, even really young students, why are there no men in this book? They have really interesting answers to tell you. Or if you read fairy tales with really young kids and you ask what happens after happily ever after, they give you really interesting answers. So it was great spending time with those kids, learning how they read, learning what engages them, and really getting a sense of what they're interested in books, what makes them laugh, what they're interested in. So that was my that was my 600 page dissertation in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. And, and it'll be interesting as we go on to hear how some of the learnings from that you know, research that you conducted kind of translate it into, into this book. But I would just love to have um, Elizabeth introduce herself and just tell us more about her, her journey, and the Aggression Reduction Center. <laughs> so um, I have been a professor of psychology for about 27, 28 years now. It's been a long time. And I started looking at uh, children and uh, aggression and violence problems back in the 1980s when I was in graduate school. Hmm. And back then, everybody was focused on gangs and gang violence. And then in the 90s, all the school shootings started, which hmm. you guys may or may not remember. But uh, that really began the focus on bullying because some of the findings then were that the kids who were school shooters were really likely to have been targets of bullies. Mm. That actually turned out to be slightly exaggerated, but the point is it generated all this interest. Mm -hmm. So I was a professor at Bridgewater and I was teaching all the courses on children and development and violence and all these other problems. And then in 2004, I got a presidential fellowship, which basically is a fellowship that releases you from your job for a year to do a project. Yes. And the project that I proposed, which by the way, I never thought I would get, I really never ever thought I would get this. And you know how it is that when you feel that way, genuinely like the universe then turns around and gives it to you. Uh, yeah. So I was sure I would never get it. And um, so I put out this idea that what I was gonna do was start a center and the center was gonna be fundamentally different from other centers because what we were gonna do was we were gonna use faculty and students uh, to provide programming and research and resources for K through 12 schools and families and kids. And the idea was that students and faculty could either do it for free or at very, very, very low cost. So we started off doing this, offering like all these really high quality research-based programs to schools in Massachusetts for free. And not too surprisingly, it kind of took off. And I say not too surprisingly because most of the stuff in bullying prevention, you have to buy. So schools have to come up with the budget. Mm. The idea was that schools wouldn't have to have any budget. All they would have to do was go on our website and requested and it started off just with me and 10 undergraduate students and it just grew and grew and grew because we had so much work so much more than we could possibly do and um, around 2005 2006 the digital stuff sort of came into play 
That had always actually been an interest of mine. Before then, it had nothing to do with children's aggression, right? I was just kind of interested in technology. I was one of those people who likes it and who, you know, finds it easy right. to work with. And, um, but suddenly those two fields of mine that had nothing to do with each other mm-hmm. just came together. Mm. And then we started working on digital problems and kids using screens and cyberbullying. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and um, that took off even more. And <clears throat> excuse me, and that took off even more. And then the pandemic hit, but mm-hmm. actually just to back up one minute. So I'm working on all the digital issues and the in-school issues and all this stuff. And I get invited to give a talk at Fitchburg State University. Okay, great. And I all did not do this talk, I have to tell you, because <laughs> Fitchburg <laughs> is a schlep from Bridgewater. Yeah. You're going to go, you know, you're going to drive two hours and there's going to be 10 people there. And it's like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. But I got there and the campus is beautiful. And there weren't 10 people there. There were like, I don't know, a hundred people there. We had a good crowd. Good crowd. Yeah. They were really interested. So I was talking about, I don't actually even remember actually what I talked about, but I was talking about something to do with my research. And as sort of a throwaway, I mentioned that I had always had this idea to write books for children about these yeah. topics, but I didn't know anything about writing books for children. So I knew I was going to need a partner, mm-hmm. but I'm in psychology, not in English. I didn't know anybody in English. So who's going to be my partner? I didn't know anybody. So at the end of this talk, Katie walks up to me and says, I will be your partner. Let's write this book. And the real story behind the genesis for this first book was that I had done a study that I uh, presented to the American Academy of Pediatrics about how children were getting their first cell phone younger and younger and younger. Mm -hmm. And how when kids got their first cell phone, when they were eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old, that was associated with them being a significantly higher risk of getting involved in bullying in school and cyberbullying. So oh. I was concerned about, I was concerned that we were giving kids cell phones, you know, with no instruction, like we were mm-hmm. teaching them, we were just handing it to them. Right, right. So Katie comes up to me and says, I'll help you write a book about that. And so we started working on the book about cell phones and that's all that's taken along. Right? pre-pandemic okay yeah this is before the pandemic this first book took us a while we have actually sort of uh greased our wheels since then and become better kind of (laughs) but that was our first book and it took us a little while and but anyway so then the pandemic hits and around april i realize suddenly that there's going to be a a huge tsunami Mm. that We were going into a situation, remember back in April, we thought all the kids were going to go back to school in September. Right, right. Remember that. That's what we thought. So we, uh, you know, I thought, wait a minute, they'll have six months. They will have been through a lot of trauma, right? Some of them will have seen people get sick. Some of them will have seen people die. Uh, Their parents will have lost their houses, lost their jobs. I mean, this was... I felt like it was really kind of a terrible situation in the making. So I thought, all right, we have to start working on helping schools with the situation. So we launched back in April, a project in Mark 
called the When the Kids Come Back. And it was designed to help schools deal with all the emotional fallout that kids were going to be experiencing in, in September. Right. Okay. So we did this whole thing over the summer. We had a huge webinar and we had like 600 people sign up in five minutes, which was like a total record for us. Awesome. And yeah, incredible. And um, I threw up a book on Amazon, which I had never done before, just with all the instructions and everything to do and putting together the minuscule, minuscule amount of research that has been done on children in these situations, almost none. Right. So we get to September, the kids don't go back to school. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and I call up Katie and I say, listen, you have to write a book for the kids Mm. because they're not going back to school this fall. It's going to be, they're going to be out of school almost a year, maybe more. And there's a lot of problems. Even in the hybrid schools, there were a lot of problems we were hearing about from schools. Mm. So Katie and I sort of went into overdrive and we put together this book. And unlike all my past books, which had been just sort of done traditionally, you know, where you write a book and then you find a publisher and that's sort of traditionally how it goes. Mm -hmm. This book, I said to Katie, we we can't wait to find a publisher because this book can't be printed in 2023. This book has to be printed next month. Right, we need it right now. Right, so we decided that we would just publish it on Amazon, which you can do in a week. I see, I see. So we just turned around and we wrote this thing. And Katie said to me, I have this idea for an illustrator. Mm. I know this kid, she's an amazing artist. And, uh, you know, I have to say, I felt a little guilty about this because I always feel guilty about saying to a 12 year old kid, what we want you to do is sort of not pay as much attention to school and do this yeah. work. Like, <laughs> like we're child labor explorer, exploiters, you know? <laughs> But not too surprisingly, this seventh grader said, I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) So she did it. And her illustrations are just spot on. They could be better for this book. Yeah, it's really, really amazing. I I saw some of them and I was just completely blown away by. Yeah, she really is amazing. One of the interviews that Katie and I did a few weeks ago, or maybe it was a month or so ago, said that that Caroline wrote uh, drew the best depiction of the coronavirus that she had yet seen. Yeah. That she'd seen all these other depictions, but Caroline's was the best. That's and it really is it really is amazing. So um, we're really happy with this book because we really feel like it's a, a resource for kids mm-hmm. who are going through an incredibly difficult year. I mean it's difficult for adults. Right. But it's also really difficult for kids. Yeah. They're really losing a year of their normal lives. Yeah. So so why don't we talk a little bit more um, about the book? Like tell tell us a little bit more about the book itself. Um, Katie, you wanna give us a kind of like overview? Sure. Uh, there's different chapters and all of the chapters address different sort of issues. Um, one thing that I wanted to add when Elizabeth was talking is that kids don't always have the language that Mm. they need to talk about the feelings that they're having or to, um, so like when adults hear the news and we talk about risk and benefit, we know what that is. We know what a risk benefit analysis is. That's how adults, that's how mature thinkers make decisions, right? But, But kids, even if they know what those words might mean, they don't 
they can't always apply them to this particular situation. Okay. So the chapters sort of help kids. Um, there's a chapter about getting organized for school. There's a chapter about screen time. There's a chapter about risk and benefit. There's a chapter about feelings that the students or the children might be having. Like if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling worried, if you're feeling depressed, I mean, the students might have these strong feelings and not know what those feelings are called, mm -hmm. not know how to address those feelings, not have any sense that other people in the world are having those feelings too. But we got this great email back from um, a mom of an eight-year-old kid who has been struggling a lot. And she said that this book gave words to his feelings. So I feel like that's, that's really gratifying to hear. Yeah. And I think it also helped him understand that other people are feeling this way too. Adults are feeling this way, but kids are feeling this way. So especially if students are remote, I mean, it's very isolating yeah. right now to be remote. Like it's lucky that you have the opportunity to get great education and be remote, but it's also very isolating. All of the social time, all of the social aspects of school aren't there. Because I can tell you when my kids sign on, it's business, like it's straight to work. There's not a lot of screen time associated with school for, you know, peer interaction or relaxed peer interaction. There's no cafeteria, there's no bus ride, there's no recess. If you're signed on to school, then you're, you know, engaged with academics. So I think the book, um, it, it does a good job of talking about these issues in kid-friendly language and not just kid-friendly language, but like funny kid-friendly language. So when we talk about risk and benefit, <laughs> the example that we use is stripping down naked and trying to beat the world record for a butter slip and slide, right? So there are risks to that and there are benefits to that, but it's not talking about coronavirus per se. Mm. It's talking about understanding these words and applying them through ridiculous and funny example. And the illustrations are awesome <laughs> throughout the book, but in that, in that part in particular, or like the twin monsters of coronavirus, you know, boredom and isolation. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of scary to talk about that, but Caroline's done such a great job of drawing them as dragons, right? Mm -hmm. So the kids are beginning to understand words that adults just throw about. They're beginning to understand that their feelings are, you know, important and there's names for their feelings. They're beginning to understand what to do about their feelings because there's nothing worse, I think, than having these feelings and not, not knowing what to do. Even simple advice like going outside, taking a walk, visiting with a friend, doing a good deed for somebody else. Adults might have those resources, but kids don't always have them. And so I think this is like a funny, accessible way of helping kids understand what's happening in the world and also helping them understand how they can feel better. That is that is awesome. That is so great. So I, I have an eight-year-old and um, she's she's also in the remote program. And so everything that you're saying, I'm just like, yeah, this is, this is absolutely spot on. Like there are times, you know, she's just upset and acting out and, and I can tell that, you know, she's, she has things going on in her mind and she just doesn't know how to express it. And then we as adults, you know, like you're saying, we have, we, we know how to um, talk about these things better. And we just assume that the kids also are able to, um, express that but it's not necessarily the case so that is that is so great um yeah um so elizabeth another thing i wanted to just ask about was the age like what age range is this good for so this this book is for kids aged roughly 7 to 11 okay. depending on the child uh we find that it works a little bit better down at the lower end of the scale like 7 to 10 but there are going to be 11 year olds who will like it 
we did have one reviewer who said, I think adults should read this because yeah. it's so funny. And you know, that's a really key point about this book mm -hmm. is that, so I had all this content, you know, I know all about child development and these kinds of problems and social and emotional learning. But Katie is kind of like the secret sauce because what she brought to it was all this humor that was really, really age appropriate and genuinely funny. So I have three kids of my own, so I know what they think is funny, but it still as a writer wouldn't have occurred to me to like fill a book with toilet jokes. Think are endlessly hilarious. And that's the mind that you need if you're gonna write a really funny book. Right. And I remember once early, early on showing the original, the first book that we wrote together to a teacher who said to me, well, I think it's a little inappropriate. And I thought like, bingo, <laughs> good. You know, that's what we want. We want the adults to be a little bit like, we have to talk about this so much. Yeah. <laughs> But like Katie has got this ear for this stuff and um, it just melds really well because let's face it, if I had just written a book saying to kids, listen, if you do too many screens, you're going to have trouble sleeping. It's not healthy. You should get outside. It would be snore. No kid <laughs> would read it. And it was really important to me that the kids really want to read it. Right. And I think that's why actually we have such a great partnership because we really bring totally different skills to it. But when you put them together, it's, it, I think it works really, really well. And, you know, I just love it when I read a reviewer who says, you know, oh, my kid was laughing the whole way through, yeah. like, that's great. That I means I want to read it. And, you know, not only that, but we actually field tested some of our original material. So Katie took it out to a fourth grade classroom okay. and we tested it, but we didn't just like see if they left. We also, we also looked at them after she read it and we, we um, sort of measured how much they learned from the chapter and if they remembered anything. And uh, so we could really go back to a publisher and say, look, we can tell you this works. Like they're not just laughing. They're also retaining what we want them to remember. Right. And so that's one of the reasons I, I think that combination works. That's, that is so great. It's so funny how you said um, the toilet jokes, um, like th they just find it hilarious. So. <laughs> We went on a Christmas light drive. Um, I think it was in Lemonster. And one of the, the lights was a poop emoji. And my daughter and my son were like, oh my God, it's the poop day. And that was like the highlight of the day. So that is so great. So you ladies are so spot on. And, and even at CodeWiz, one of the things that we always talk about to our coaches is when you're teaching kids, you really have to make it such that they're enjoying it and they're they're laughing and they're having fun and when they have fun and they're enjoying whatever it is that they're doing they will retain whatever it is that you are trying to trying to pass across so this is great we need to get this book in the hands of literally every parent because i think some parents understand that this is an issue and some parents may not even be aware that this is an issue and I'm, my hope is that 
you know, this conversation that we have had, as we put it out there for people to listen to, people will understand that this is something that they need to care about. And this is something that they need to be proactive about. We don't want to wait until it's too late and we're dealing with the after effects of all this, um, you know, the kids keeping all of their feelings and emotions inside. We want to be able to start to open up conversations with them. And I am very guilty of this. As, as I'm talking to you right now, I'm just thinking, ooh, I need to make sure that I'm having, you know, conversations with my eight-year-old. And I'm going to start with this book. I'm going to start with this book and make sure that, you know, we're giving her an avenue to be able to um, understand what is going on and process what is going on all around her in in very kid-friendly terms and open up that conversation and ruth there is a guide for parents oh there That's is a, a guide for parents Please yes, tell us there's about a guide that. for parents and uh it, it's part of the series so you can just go to the series online and see it there and, and download it okay. and it's um it's uh, gives you discussion questions and summaries of the points Perfect. of each understand what the point of all the toilet jokes is is to make <laughs> this point and here is a follow-up discussion question it also gives you some more activities because the kids really like the activities yeah yeah okay so tell us where we can find this amazing book amazon so, it's on, it's available uh, on amazon it's okay. also available if you are someone who likes bookstores the Silver Unicorn in Acton has okay. it, and also the Harvard General Store in Act or in um, Harvard has it. So there are two stores, uh, right, right, right around where we are in uh, okay. Central Massachusetts, and, uh, and also and we gotta support small businesses, guys. We gotta support small businesses. If you can drive to the bookstore in Acton or Harvard, please do that. Otherwise, um, uh, Amazon would be a good a good place to get this book. Where can we find the guide as well? Will that come with the book or we go somewhere to download that? It's separate, but it's also there on Amazon. Amazon, I don't know if the bookstores have the the parents guide. I don't think they do. Yeah. But on Amazon you can it's like if you click on the book, there's a series link. Got you can click on the series and you'll see the parents guide there. Okay. All right. Well, we will be, I will be encouraging as many people as I know to, um, to go get the book. I really think that it is fabulous and we're getting to a point where we want to give last words. So Katie, you want to give us your last word? Sure thing. I sure do. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is we are also offering free virtual programming oh. to elementary schools, to Girl Scouts, to community centers, to literacy centers. Um, I've had the pleasure of getting to read my book remotely with children and hearing them laugh and talk about the book and hearing them take away lessons because our closing activity is always pick one safe, socially distanced thing you can do for someone else mm. to help you feel better. So just hearing the ideas that they have at the end of that free virtual programming, that like, it's just, it's really heartwarming. And I want to make sure that people know that it's available. Um, we've heard from librarians too. I said Girl Scout leaders, schools, literacy centers, community centers. So we, we're trying to spread the message of our book and get the book in the hands of kids and families who need it. And the, 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 the little ones who I've had a chance to read with have really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. So I want to give a little plug. It's free and it's, it's virtual remote. So it's, it's accessible to everyone. Okay. That is, that is good to know. I'll make sure that when I'm promoting this podcast, I, I call that out as well. That is awesome. Okay, Elizabeth, any final words for our listeners? I think the final word, speaking from somebody in my field, is that 
I think that the more we sort of deal with this head on with kids, the fewer problems we're going to have on the back end. Right. And Katie and I are already working on a book for after the pandemic because life is not just going to snap back to normal. Mm-hmm. You've had the experience yet of having somebody, for example, in your family uh, contract the virus then even after you know it's safe, it feels kind of weird. And there's going to be a lot of weird feelings about shifting back into normality. So we really want to help kids cope with that too, because that's kind of a different problem. Yeah. And yeah, and that's, so we're going to all have to be really sensitive. You know, I've spent my entire career saying to people, social and emotional issues are like front and center with kids. You got to pay attention to them. But this year, I really mean it more than I ever have. Like, I really think this is what's going on. And, yeah. and we're just going to have to focus on this. Yeah, I think that um, in, in a lot of communities, especially the ones that are very, um, where they have like very high performing schools and whatnot, there's been a lot of concern in, in the parent forums about the kids falling behind you know, academically and all of that. But to your point, we really also need to really, really be thinking about the um, the social and emotional um, aspects of the whole thing that's going on right now. Yes, there are academic issues, but we that is something that maybe we're not talking about enough of. And we're I- not yet. You know, the academic issues might need to push down the road a little bit. Uh, right. You know, we're, sooner or later we're going to have to power up, but. Yeah. It, it, that that's not the job of the moment. Right. And uh, what we really need to focus on are getting these kids up to score emotionally. And the idea of this book is that it's like a tool. You don't have to sit there as a parent and try to think, how do I do this? How right. do I start yeah. this conversation? You don't have to do any of that. You just give the kid the book and let them read it and tell you what they think and talk to them about it. And, so you, you know, it, it's a really good way to start it. You have I been- have to say... One of the greatest, one of the greatest, um, sort of not even a review, but um, a colleague at Fitchburg State, her son is right in our age group. And um, she was saying to him, you know, it's time to log on for class. And he's like, mom, I know. I learned about it in the pandemic. Oh, no. so, you know, it, it's, so, it's so great to hear those things. It's so great to hear that the book is helpful and that, okay. you know, children enjoy reading it and that children are taking away bits and pieces that are helpful and sustaining okay. to them. So uh, no, no positive review uh, affects me more than hearing that students and children are are learning and you know having some positive impacts on their on their lives. That's I agree. It makes it all worth it. It makes it all worth it. I I hear you on that one. I hear you. Okay, ladies, we have come to the end. This has been a wonderful, wonder, wonderful. Can't speak. Wonderful discussion. Um, thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure having you. And for everyone listening, please go get this book. You can find it on Amazon. Just to reiterate, you can find it on Amazon. You can find the parent guide and the, the book for your child on Amazon. Uh, but if you're close to a bookstore, support local business, go to the Silver Unicorn Bookstore in Acton. What's the name of the one you have right again? It's the Harvard General Store in the center of Harvard. In Harvard. Is there any near Bridgewater or no? I don't think so. Okay. All right. The folks near Bridgewater should go to Amazon. Uh, (laughs) 
All right, ladies, thank you again so very much. It was such a pleasure having you. And I look forward to seeing this book in the hands of as many parents as we can get it into. Thank you so much, Ruth. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye, ladies. Take care. And we look forward to your next book. You need to come back and tell us about the book once you're done with that one. We'd love to. Thank you. All right. Bye. We will.